Hello, my friends. Me and Mr. Otis are here giving you a welcoming intro. I almost waited for him to decide that he was over me. If you have an orange cat, you know it's only a matter of time before they are sick of you and go from purring on your lap to biting you. But I decided that hopefully it all adds a little calm to your day. Maybe you need a little bit of that whenever you're listening to this. Welcome to the podcast, or welcome back if you've been here before. My name is Mallory Page. I am a registered dietitian, and I am also your host, Otis. Oh, that was from him jumping up. On to my area in the closet. I don't think I've ever shown you guys the closet, but basically it is a walk-in closet. So lucky. And in the closet, there's like enough space for me to sit in between. And I basically prop up the mic on these, you know, those Target, what are the brand? Sterilite, like drawers. I feel like these are such a pinnacle to my existence. So we have those in here and I have this up. Oh my gosh. And now my Slack sound is going off. I'm sorry if I just triggered any of you guys. Do not disturb is now on. We had a chaotic start, but that's what this podcast is all about. Actually, it's not. It's actually about answering your nutrition and wellness questions in a non-diet culture lens. And as a registered dietitian, I give my educated opinion, but I also share those of others that have educated opinions and even y'all's experiences as well. Listen to that, y'all. The Texas in me is coming out. I guess Texan would be the more appropriate word. Today... We have a highly requested topic and one that I feel like is going to be definitely touchy. There's a lot of opinions and a lot of feelings on the topic of all-in recovery. If you're not familiar with it at all, or if you have been an avid all-in recovery supporter and someone that has gone through it, there is a space for you in this podcast regardless I am going to be discussing all of the different sides of it and hopefully helping you either decide if you really feel like this is a good fit, take a lens to the experience that you've had with it to feel more understood, help to basically explain why this may not or may be a good fit for someone that you know in your life if they're asking you, or if you're a clinician, obviously having a response if your client asks you about this. So there's so many things that I want to go through in this. So let's just get on. Let's just get started. (laughs) Can you just tell I'm, I'm in a little bit of a weird mood today? That's all right. So what is all in recovery? So all in refers to full commitment to eating disorder slash disordered eating recovery But also, I would say that this was popularized, why can I never say that word, in the fitness world as well for those that have basically gotten to a point where they were hungry all the time. Now, could you argue that's the same as disordered eating? You could. But I feel like people listening to this episode may be thinking of themselves in that category. So I want to validate that if you're thinking that, I have seen many people feel that that was their angle in going into it. So the main hallmarks of going all in include giving yourself full permission to eat until you are full plus responding to hunger cues. This typically includes eating at least 2,500 calories a day, but also having no limit on your calories. 
no tracking calories, macros, or following a meal plan, no weighing yourself or measuring in any capacity, giving up all disordered eating behaviors, and then allowing your body to completely rest from physical activity. So you may be wondering, where did this come from? And I will say that despite researching this heavily myself and with my team, it's actually really hard to find the true origin. So I'm doing a little bit of the connecting dots with the discoveries that I made. So this term became really popular from Stephanie Buttermore. And so I went to her very first video that talks about All In to try to understand maybe where she got it from. And what I heard in her initial video is that she talked to a doctor, Nicola Rinaldi, who has a PhD, and she is the author of No Period, Now What? And what I heard from her is that she suggests this for patients that are going through HA recovery. So I actually recorded a clip that I wanted to play for you guys so that you could get an idea of how that conversation came about. Had that chat, we talked about a concept that she refers to as going all in. It's something that she recommends to all of her female clients that are currently undergoing HA and want to get their period back and want to get their health back. So in that conversation, we also discussed the concept of reverse dieting, which you guys know I was doing at the time of that conversation, and how she wasn't a big fan of reverse dieting, which kind of convinced me more of this concept of going all in and kind of convinced me even more that reverse dieting really wasn't right for me. So I'm sure as I go through that, your number one question is probably what is HA if you're not familiar with it. So HA is hypothalamic, hypothalamic amenorrhea. It is quite a mouthful. And that is essentially the cessation of your menstrual cycle. So that is the specialty that Nicola Rinaldi has and what she works in. And Stephanie Buttermore was dealing with HA, and that was one of the main reasons why she decided to seek out an all-in type of journey. And when she came into that call with Nicola, Dr. Rinaldi, I should say, she was doing reverse dieting, as she was alluding to, and Dr. Rinaldi recommended that she did not continue to engage in that. And so that's a lot of also where the fitness tie-in comes in, because before Stephanie Buttermore went on her all-in journey, she was a huge fitness influencer that was very into pretty much every single type of weighing your food, calorie counting, intermittent fasting, food rules, everything that you could do. So you had a lot of people following that fitness journey, also watching now her all-in journey, that may not resonate with something like a disordered eating. You may be wondering as I go through that then why she decided to go on this journey. You know, did she realize she had disordered eating or did she just want to get her period back or what was it that made her do it? So it was about two and a half years ago when she did this. It was 2019 in June when she released the first video and she basically dedicated her channel at this time to conveying her all-in journey. She's also has a PhD in biomedical sciences, but she made the switch from that into social media as a fitness educator and had programs and different stuff like that. So one thing that's important to know is that 
Stephanie Buttermore is extremely intelligent. It's very clear when you go through her videos, but she is not a licensed RD and she has really no actual education in the counseling next steps of the RD world because that wasn't her specialty. So the information that she's giving out It may be safe, but it's still not individualized care. And when she's even talking about her exercise journey and all of those different things, just because she's talking about it and having her own experience, that doesn't mean that that same experience and that same mindset will apply for everyone else. I'm actually going to go more into my thoughts on specifically Stephanie Buttermore's videos about All In towards the end of this podcast. But to continue into the All In journey itself, let's talk about why people typically do this. So All In is a very tempting way to recover. Whether it be recover your period, recover from your eating disorder, or recover from disordered eating, because it promises to do a fast track through recovery, and it provides a more intensive recovery that's pretty much sold as being something you can do on your own. So to give you guys an idea, if you were to go to a residential treatment facility for an eating disorder, you are pretty much required to do a similar version to an all-in. What that looks like is the residential treatment facility, they're going to provide you with meals to make sure that you're eating all of the needs that you have. They're also making sure that you are eating all of those meals. They're preventing you from tracking. They're preventing you from weighing yourself and measuring. They have an exercise restriction on you. They do all of these things because at the time for most people going into residential treatment, the main goal is that they are trying to get that person to a point where they are medically stable. Otis. Oh my gosh, she grabbed the hair tie. He loves hair ties. Back to what we were saying. So because their goal is to get them to medically stable as soon as possible, they're wanting to get them to a stable weight. And so Doing that all-in approach is necessary because the truth is eating disorders can kill you. They're very dangerous. They are the deadliest mental illness out there. So when we have someone going in for an eating disorder that needs residential treatment, they have to take a very fast-track approach to make sure that that person is going to be okay. Now, you may be listening to me and saying to yourself, well, yeah, I get that, but I'm not in that space. I'm not medically unstable. I don't even maybe feel like I need to gain weight. So whether it's true if you need to gain weight or it's not, let's just say you are more in the realm of being medically stable. So then why in that case would you go all in? So that would be arguably Stephanie Buttermore for what she felt. Going all in in this circumstance, it really reframes your whole life to be specifically about recovery. So they essentially are saying, like, let's focus all of your energy on taking these steps around food, exercise, body image, etc. Sometimes when you're just going one habit at a time or kind of dipping your toes in, 
it just doesn't evoke the motivation or the commitment that you feel that you need to recover. And many of us that struggle with disordered eating have somewhat of an all-in, all-out personality. And that can be helpful, and sometimes it can be harmful. But no matter what, going all-in, it's going to aim to reduce and remove those triggers that we mentioned, the weighing, the tracking, the measuring, as well as removing those compensatory behaviors like exercising or purging in a different way. And this hopefully reduces the opportunities to be triggered. Because when you're triggered in your day-to-day life, then you can't turn to those compensatory mechanisms, which therefore helps you to more quickly move through your recovery. Because then you're sitting with those uncomfortable feelings. You have to face those feelings because feelings are really underneath what we're experiencing 99% of the time. And then hopefully you're going to be able to learn healthier coping mechanisms instead of reverting to restriction, exercising, binging, or whatever else that could look like for you. So there's an eating disorder disorder coach called Tabitha Farrar. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. And she uses an analogy for the all-in mindset that I wanted to share with you guys. So this is all her wording as I read through it. Every time you eat a fear food or engage in a behavior that brings up fear, you must overcome the fear response, which is exhausting. She likens the all-in mindset to just jumping into a freezing cold pool. Even though it is incredibly unpleasant, it is actually easier to jump in all at once because you end up being uncomfortable for a shorter period of time. When you jump in, you are uncomfortable at first, but you adapt to the temperature within a couple of seconds. If you were to ease into the pool inch by inch, it makes takes much longer and you are uncomfortable for that whole time period. The reason why all-in can be effective is that you are very uncomfortable at first, but quickly adjust to the fear within a few days. If you are to ease into treatment, you are taking larger gaps of time between overcoming the fear response. When you have large gaps of time between fear exposures, it is not enough to rewire your neural pathways. I wanted to share this analogy because I think she does a really good job of sharing some of the benefits and also alluding to some of the science that we have to back up the idea of all-in. Now, what I want to mention right now is there are no research journals that reference the all-in mindset or approach specifically. I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some studies come out about this in the future, and I would be so fascinated to learn about this and even compare something like this to a different approach. But for right now, we can basically just use similar treatment modalities that you can see in research and then try to deduce different positives or negatives from those research studies. So All In primarily relies on exposure therapy, also known as exposure and response prevention. And this is very commonly used in pretty much any eating disorder treatment that you can find. If you were to research ERP, you are often going to see it discussed in relationship to OCD treatment. So I want to explain how it can look when we're talking about ED or disordered eating treatment. So what we will typically have is a triggering thought or situation, an unhelpful or inaccurate interpretation, a negative emotion, and then a maladaptive coping strategy. So I'm going to give you two examples of this. Number one, triggering situation is that you're going to eat a fear food. The unhelpful or inaccurate interpretation is that, oh my gosh, if I eat this fear food, I'm so unhealthy and I'm going to gain weight. Then your negative emotion is guilt, anxiety, 
sadness, shame, anything along those lines. And then your maladaptive coping strategy is to avoid eating it or eating it and then feeling like you completely overdo it because you have to eat all of it at once or any other rendition of what you could do as a reaction. Now let's go back up to the top and talk about a triggering thought. So the triggering thought is, I feel like I'm heavier than I should be. You recognize that as, or the unhelpful or inaccurate interpretation is that, that means that you are failing and you have no worth and no one's going to think you're attractive. That brings up emotions of shame, sadness, dismay, whatever it could be for you. And then the maladaptive coping strategies would be either going to the gym and over-exercising because of it, starting to restrict more foods, going into a depressive spiral. It could be any of those number of things. There's a whole entire list of coping strategies that could come up for that. So when I lay that out, hopefully it gives you kind of an idea of what it is that we're trying to do when we are doing exposure and response prevention. And I also hope that it shows you how many times this can be happening in a day, right? So imagine you're doing all in. You could be doing this process, I mean, literally dozens and dozens of times a day. It could feel like hundreds, depending on where you're at with your thoughts. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind because as I go through that, remember that whole process is truly happening in your mind even if it doesn't feel that way in the moment, because of some of these are more physical and some of them are more mental. Now, something to note about eating disorders in general, and even this process we're talking about, is that there's a very high overlap in anxiety disorders and eating disorders. So anxiety is a big piece of what comes up in the eating disorder or eating disorders can come up with anxiety. So when we are doing responses like this or using techniques like this, There are often multiple different things that we could even be fighting at the same time. So when it comes to all in, a few things that I would like you to note and start to think about before I go into the pros and cons. Think about treatment and recovery fatigue. Imagine, as I said, doing that multiple times a day. How do you think that would make you feel? Another thing to keep in mind is decision fatigue. How many decisions do you think you would have to make in a day in order to really know if you were truly making the all-in decision or making the eating disorder decision, for lack of a better word? Treatment and recovery or general trauma. A lot of people have trauma in relation to their food issues. Or they have trauma sometimes even from treatments that they've tried because of how they've made them feel. So think about those being involved in this process. Remember GI issues that can come about from new eating habits and how those can make you feel. And then also just remember whenever we think about doing an overhaul on our life, right? What are things that we typically think about with overhauls? We think about moving somewhere new, maybe going on a resetter diet, maybe trying to do all your new resolutions at once, totally having a change like a breakup, whatever it may be that feels like an overhaul to you, try to imagine how that made you feel. 
Now, with all of that being said, I want you to take two seconds to kind of think. When I think about putting myself in the all-in position, or if I think about what it was like in the past, what did that evoke for me? What was that experience like? Now, take that, and we're going to go into the pros and cons. So let's start with the pros. Potentially, there's going to be quicker weight restoration and or completion of the physical piece of the recovery process. That's always a pro because, of course, our number one goal is to have someone be safe and also to reach the place in their body that is going to help them function their best. Oftentimes, we'll call that a set point or a set point range. Now, you wouldn't be weighing to get to this point or measuring to get to this point, but you could potentially have that be restored more quickly. You also could be overcoming fear foods and full food rules much faster through just unconditionally giving yourself permission to eat these things. The more quickly you're able to really give yourself full permission around food, the more easily you're going to become basically just normalized around that food or the food will become normalized to you. And then you often crave that food less intensely than you did when it was off limits and really start to be able to listen to the foods that sound best for you. And that's always a really enjoyable part on the recovery journey. This also normalizes portions and volumes that may feel like they are not normal to you. Oftentimes in recovery, in any way that you do it, it's really hard to grapple with the idea of how much food our body may need, but really we do need to give ourselves that unconditional eating in an ideal world. So this can help to normalize that. It does give you the ability to get back in touch with your hunger and fullness cues or relearn them if you feel like you're not feeling them as strongly. It's definitely a commitment to full recovery, which is incredible, right? We always want to feel like we're fully committing to recovery and really listening to what our body needs and and just going on that journey. And then, of course, it's removal of triggering behaviors that can make it, you know, easier to commit to recovery. So, for example, like, oh, I'm going to go on recovery, but I'm still weighing myself. Oh, I'm going to go on recovery, but I'm still going to go to the gym to get stronger, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now let's get into the cons. So the cons and the biggest con that I really want everybody to hear is that this approach does not address the psychological treatment that is often necessary. If you are working with a dietitian in a treatment center, even a therapist, but really I feel like you need the nutrition support along with the therapist and ideally also the therapist along with the dietitian or nutrition support, then this is not helping you work through that psychological element like you most likely need. And even if you are addressing those feelings on your own, it is often not enough just to do it on our own because we can't always see ourselves critically because we are ourselves. The second thing is that there's really no meal support and you don't have that direction from a professional to turn to when things can feel confusing. You know, many of you guys may resonate with my episode last week, you know, the almond mom. 
how are you going to fully go on recovery with an almond mom that may not even believe that you need to do it? How are you going to do all in in that case of her buying you the food that you need, of you being able to eat without having comments? Just all of those type of things that can come up, or even if you don't have an almond mom, even if you have the most supportive family in, a wor- in the world, it's still so helpful to have a professional on your side. So I know those are more of the professional scope, and you may be listening and thinking, that's great, Mallory. I would love a professional, but I am not able to get one. I don't have the funds, and I totally get that as well. So there are cons that I feel like are more outside just that, that I also really want you guys to listen to. So the thing that we need to remember is that many people with disordered eating or eating disorders, or even that are in that kind of fitness obsession phase, they don't know which of their behaviors are classified as quote-unquote disordered and which of them are healthy. So how can they give up their disordered behaviors if they don't even know which behaviors are disordered, right? So let me give you an example. Miss Girl, aka me, I don't know, I just called myself Miss Girl, had orthorexia. If you had told me that exercising like I was wasn't healthy to me or that taking total breaks would be the best thing for me, there was a certain point where I just simply would not have believed you. If you had told me that if my body really feels like it needs to have the five cookies to just get through it, that that was healthy for me because I was healing, I would not have believed you. If you told me that I actually shouldn't be focusing on still whole foods and only having a few different quote-unquote fun or quote-unquote cheat or quote-unquote unhealthy foods, I wouldn't have believed you. So I would have been doing this all in but doing it in a modified way and that's because I wouldn't have been able to understand that some of the behaviors that I thought were healthy or even admirable were still disordered. Even if at the end of the journey they're not necessarily negative, they still were at the end of the day for that period and phase I was in. Now to go along with that, Oftentimes, when you have been doing dieting, restricting, fitness obsession, whatever it may be, you no longer have hunger and fullness cues. And the thing about all in is it is easier for someone like Stephanie that we are mentioning that says that she had such extreme hunger. It's going to be a lot harder for someone that does not have strong strong hunger and fullness cues. And even if you do, how do you know that you're fully going to be able to allow yourself to listen to those without any guilt or shame and not talk yourself out of why you may be hungry or why you may not feel full? Along with all of that, I just think the main thing is the distress that can come up. There could be binging. There could be body changes. Most likely will be body changes. There will be meal comparison. There can be body comparison. There can be comparison to other people on your all-in journey. There can be so many distressful things that come up along this journey that would be extremely, extremely hard to be able to work on, especially if you are dealing with trauma that has influenced your eating patterns. Working through trauma in this scenario, and I'm not trying to be dramatic, I'm being very, very honest, it can be 
re-traumatizing and very dangerous. If you have very specific trauma that relates to this stuff and you are continually putting yourself in that position every single day without proper mental support, it is something you need to be very, 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 very careful of. So after going through all of this information, I'm sure you may be kind of wondering what you should do. And of course, I want to leave you empowered to make that decision, but I will share my final thoughts as someone that works with people that struggle with disordered eating and eating disorders and even someone that has had an eating disorder myself at the very end. But the next thing that I want to do is actually do a little discussion about Stephanie. So I have had many, many clients come to me over the years saying that Stephanie is really an inspiration for them. And I think she seems like such a wonderful, kind, smart, caring, empathetic individual. I really feel like she makes content out there that is well-informed and she takes a lot of time to put it together and speaks carefully around topics that she knows can be triggering. And I really, really appreciate that. Now, when it comes to people telling me that they go through and they watch her all in videos and decide that that makes them want to go all in, I totally understand why it would be helpful to see someone be able to complete this journey and feel like some of the unknown of the process is taken out because you feel like you're watching someone else that's doing this so you can anticipate the changes. I watched Stephanie's journey a long time ago when it first came out, somewhat casually, but it wasn't until today when I was doing research for this that I actually returned to her original videos and to her last videos on the journey because if you're not aware, there have been updates in recent times around what ended up happening for her after she reached her basically set point weight. And there's a lot of thoughts that I took away from it that I feel are very, very, very important for you guys to hear. When I was watching Stephanie What I saw was a person that was so ingrained in fitness culture that the experience that she was having almost felt normalized. And I think that's very understandable, right? In fitness culture, when you're doing these bulks and these cuts and reverse dieting, and that's her programs, and she was in biomedical PhD studies, it becomes something that is so talked about and discussed that it doesn't feel that unnormal to be extremely extremely hungry. It doesn't feel that unnormal to have no energy. It doesn't feel that unnormal to not eat foods that you want and crave. And so with all of that in mind, when you see her sitting down to make this very vulnerable video about all-in, all-in recovery, you can see that she is really putting herself out there to a community of people that she has fostered over the years because she had a huge audience even at the time, I think close to a million followers, if not more, and feeling very nervous because this is not the norm. Talking about gaining weight, talking about doing something so different and not following the cuts and all that stuff, like that was a very polarizing topic. I mean, she popularized this idea when it was pretty much unheard of. And 
that's really important to keep in mind because overall, what a brave thing for her to do as a professional in the space. That is not easy. And I can't imagine how hard that decision was for her to make. And I think she explains her thought process really well behind how she gathered the information to do that. Now, what I see in the seat of someone that works with people that have disordered eating and has had disordered eating myself, I see someone that doesn't know that they could have been struggling. And I am not here to diagnose Stephanie with anything. I haven't watched her videos closely enough to say if she's ever alluded to feeling like she resonates with disordered eating or an eating disorder or body dysmorphia. So I am not speculating. But what I see from what I have observed in other situations similar to hers is that I see a person that didn't know that she could have been struggling and that what she was dealing with was in fact not normal. And a result of all of this restriction and rules and everything that she was subjecting herself to before. So some main things that really stood out to me is that there was a lot of conversation around how when she was younger, she had such a high appetite and she had to stop eating earlier and really just so much awareness around how she felt like she was always someone that was eating too much and just a lot of thought behind her body and how she was eating from such a young age. Then when she went into explaining how she was doing all-in, it definitely differed from the true all-in definition that has at least been created now. But from what I believe and what I have researched, it was also true back then, which was that instead of just allowing herself to eat with absolutely no restrictions at all, completely listen to any cravings, and let go of all disordered habits... She was still saying that 75% of her food had to be healthy, and then the other 25% could be fun foods, and she also still tracked calories along the way. I want to mention that she did do the tracking calories and some other things that I'm going to list because of the fact that she almost treated this all-in journey as a research study for the purpose of her audience. So I do definitely get that that could have been more weaved into that research piece of it, but it is still important to keep in mind because it does affect the journey. That's just the truth. When she talked about her goals, she also had the goals of increasing her metabolism feeling better and stronger, decreasing her appetite, and being less food obsessed. Now, I do think those are understandable goals, but I feel like a lot of those goals can allude to the end result of wanting to basically be back to a lower weight. And I know why people would feel that way. I get it. I get how scary it is to gain weight, but I feel like at the time, maybe it wasn't recognized that there was a lot of fear there. I mean, she did actually say, to be fair, in the video that, you know, she was worried about the the weight changes. But when we really think about the goals from All In, we wouldn't really want them to be as oriented around metabolism and decreasing appetite and being less food obsessed in the sense of feeling like you can stop eating sooner. We want them to be around freedom, like having the freedom to eat what sounds good, finding a place in your body that feels really aligned, 
feeling better mentally and physically, even if it's not stronger, and all of those type of goals. Along with the 75% of food being healthy, there were two other habits that she mentioned that she was continuing. So she was continuing to exercise, which I'm sure was, of course, a very hard decision if she was questioning it because she is a fitness influencer. So definitely empathetic to why that would be a hard choice. And then she also did weigh herself throughout the entire process. Again, this, she said at the time, was because of the research piece of it, but it still was something she was doing. And she mentions her weight and shows her body throughout all of these videos. And I am in no way um, saying anything negative about that because it's her choice and her research study and what she did that she decided to share on YouTube. But I know for 99% of my clients that I've dealt with that deal with disordered eating, body dysmorphia, eating disorders, it's not helpful to see someone mentioning their weight and showing their body. And especially not helpful if you were going through watching her all-in stories past like or after the fact and seeing these changes and comparing what you have happening in your body to her. So with all of that being said, you can see that she really kind of alters some of the actual steps of true all-in. And to go along with her goals in general, she also had goals around fitness, which were really more aligned with the whole idea of like building strength and still having muscle. And again, she's a fitness influencer, but we don't want to just do what I like to call a transfer, which is, okay, I used to be obsessed with being at this certain body or tone level for X, Y, and Z, and now I'm obsessed with it just for being strong. It's still a similar ideology. It's just a different way that it's presenting itself. Along with all of these different things she mentioned, when she was kind of explaining her thought process, There was just a lot of justification that I do see why she was saying it, but also I just feel like it's not really helpful. It's stuff like, it's okay because I'm going to plateau at a weight and then because I live a healthy, active lifestyle. Or basically just talking about how this process would be all right if she got back to this certain type of body, this certain type of eating. And Although I understand the mindset, it's really just not something that we want to have in our mind when we're going through recovery. That's Those should not be our goals. Now, if you are familiar with her whole journey, then you would know that she's made an update video. I think it was about a year ago. I hope I'm remembering correctly. And she talked about how she basically got to too low of a weight. And she got to too low of a weight because she started to have anxiety, understandably so. She did a very publicized process of a journey that was very mentally taxing. And she shared how mentally taxing it was throughout this journey. But that anxiety led her to basically exploiting the fact that she didn't have hunger. And those are in her own terms. And what ended up happening is that she got to too low of a weight. And once she got there she was afraid to put it back on. Once she got to this place, she found herself 
reverting back to old tendencies. And she, I believe, said that these in her mind were disordered. Just want to note that. So she reverted back to choosing the healthy options at restaurants, quote unquote, unhealthy, using intuitive eating, eating as a reason to restrict, having guilt after meals, and essentially feeling like she couldn't gain weight and was afraid to start because she didn't want to gain too much weight. What this specific part really shows to me personally is that those psychological elements of the journey were just not addressed. It was all under the guise of like, once I hit this weight, it'll be okay. Or once I am able to eat, I'm no longer hungry, it'll be okay. And obviously, congrats to her for doing an incredible job. But when you don't work on the mental element, one of the biggest things that we're mentioning, missing, I'm sorry, is going back to that ERP process, the reconditioning of the maladaptive coping mechanism. So I didn't fully finish out that process, but essentially what we want to do in ERP is elicit the emotion, like put in place the triggering thought or situation, revoke or evoke that response, and then redirect it. And when you listen to this type of journey where you just do these different things, we don't always have the actual readaption. Is that a word? We don't actually adapt and make a new coping mechanism. And when we don't do that, that's what ends up happening of, oh, I'm anxious. This is my coping mechanism to use food. And therefore, I fall back into disordered eating habits. And this is so important. Like, I talk about this with my clients all the time. This is such a big thing we discuss. The importance of being able to understand your unique coping mechanisms that are not exercise, that are not food, that are not taking it out on your body is one of the most important things in all of recovery. So... I in no way want this to sound like a dig at Stephanie Buttermore because it's not, but I would highly recommend at the very least not watching through all of Stephanie's videos if you're going to go in the all-in journey. I really think for most people that are struggling, it's not helpful to see these numbers, to watch someone that was in a place where they were struggling And I just really recommend thinking critically about if something like that is truly going to be helpful for you or if you're trying to use it as just another way of control. So that kind of leads us into the final thoughts portion. To be 100% honest, I respect the fact that All In has been helpful for many people. And I appreciate the fact that something like this has gained traction because it means more people are thinking about recovery. And that is so incredible. But in my opinion, your journey in recovery really needs to be more individualized than this. So, you know, even if you want to take certain elements of all in and that commitment, that's awesome. But 
can we also add on that support? There are serious risks of doing something like this that could happen. Re-traumatizing yourself, refeeding syndrome, taking 10 more steps backwards because what you start with is too hard, really intense, strong relapses, horrible mental health effects. It can be scary. And I just never want you guys to get into that position. Now, to go along with that, I feel like it can be really hard to do all-in recovery because it can set you up for feeling like you're failing and for being exhausted. When we take a more traditional approach of, for example, something like I do, of implementing things over time, it makes it easier to feel like you're having wins and gaining traction along the way, but it's still commitment. And there's a way to still implement a lot of different goals that may still feel really challenging without feeling like it's all in every day. And to give you a very clear example of this, you could think that you're being all in because you're eating when you're hungry and you're eating, you know, two times a day at the end of the day, or you could be doing a personalized recovery journey or even just setting goals with the treatment team or on your own and have a goal of eating five times a day or six times a day, three meals, three snacks and pushing through that. I mean, that is a very challenging thing to do, right? So that's the kind of example that I want you guys to kind of imagine when you're thinking about this. I also think one of the most important questions to ask yourself, which I posed in the beginning, is do you feel like you're truly aware of every single eating disorder or disordered eating behavior that you have? Do you feel like you're aware of the trauma that could be causing this? Do you feel like there are body image issues that are worked into your other experiences All of those different things, in my mind, are somewhat of disqualificators, disqualifications. Oh my goodness, I could just not get through the words today. There's somewhat of disqualifications to really having this process be a good fit for you. And if you feel like you fit into any of those categories, I would always say that going along the lines of choosing to do a different type of recovery would be better. To give you guys an example of what I would suggest if you listened to this episode and thought, you know, I don't know if this is a good fit for me. Obviously, you guys know that my number one tip would be to get support. If you have the ability, that is what you need to do. Obviously, depending on your level of severity, you're going to need something different. But if you're listening to this and you're like, what am I going to do? I feel like I am struggling with this stuff but don't know where to start. My program, Live Unrestricted, is definitely worth applying to. I will let you know if it's a good fit, if it's too severe, or if the problems you're struggling with may not be the exact right approach uh, for the program or the program may not have the exact right approach for you. But we work on the body image, the exercise, the food, the coping mechanisms. We help you to have specific goals every single week that we set based off where you are at that are hard enough to push you but not so hard that you fall backwards. And we still utilize the idea that the more that you can do, the better. If you feel like you're feeling motivated that week, don't let goals hinder you, but also don't feel that you're failing if you're not doing all in every second of every day. So the link for that will always be below. And our next program actually starts really soon. The onboarding week is 
the week of January 23rd. So that's technically the last day to apply. Now, my second tip would be if you can't get support, then try and set some goals for yourself like I mentioned. What if you did three meals and three snacks each day? What if you decided to implement a new fear food each day or buy a new fear food and implement it three times a week? What if you went out with a friend and had them choose your meal? What if you decided to take a total break from exercise or at least you just started with one day? What if you decided to take one day off of calorie counting and then built up to two and then three and then four? What about you write down a list of all of the different habits you feel like you're engaging in and start to make goals around all of those that feel doable and understandable for you and your body and where you're at and the level of support that you have. Number three tip would be to remember the body image piece is going to come last. Now, why I say this is because especially with a journey like All In, if you were kind of considering that, you may have been wondering, like, what is my body image going to do in this time? Well, body image in that circumstance, if you struggle with it, can be super hard. But even if you're doing a goal approach like we have, it still can be hard because it's often the last thing since it's more mental and it's not as physical. So be and have grace with yourself, I should say, because the more that you implement these goals that I was mentioning before, the more they will improve your body image and the more that your body image improves, the easier those goals will get and they work synergistically together. But also really make sure that you're trying to work on those mental reframes around your body as well. So that's kind of that exposure process in a way because you're trying to re basically you're trying to change the way that you cope with a negative body image feeling and that's super important i really hope this episode was helpful i know it was a long one but there was so much to cover in terms of diet culture rating by the way i'm sorry that i forgot to do this for the past few episodes i would say that all in completely depends on how you do it If you were to say you're going all in, no restrictions, like exactly like what I said in the beginning, I mean, it's not a high diet culture rating. It would be quite low, maybe a one or a two. Now, if you were to do Stephanie's version, how she was explaining it, it's a little higher. I would say even like a six, seven with the qualifications around weight, what she was eating and exercise. So I hope that overall, as I go through this, you feel like no matter what, you have a clearer depiction of what works for you. And in no way is this episode ever trying to discount an experience that you have had on an all-in journey. Anything that gets someone to recover is something that I am a fan of. I just wanted to speak to the intricacies of it and the nuances that people may be wanting to keep in mind as they decide if this is the right fit for them. Thank you guys so much for listening. I will see you back here next week and DM me with any questions that you have. Leave a rating or review if you are feeling inclined or share this with someone. It always goes so appreciated or it never goes unnoticed is always so appreciated. I have really not been killing it with the scenes today. All right, guys. Thanks so much for listening again and I'll see you next week.